0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So we got uh, a little bit of news to get to before we check out some of the more advanced stats and grades and whatnot from Sunday Night's Game. And here's what I think I'm going to do. I'm going to switch it up a little bit when talking about Tavon Austin. I was perusing through the Facebook group and I saw Daniel posted a meme of what, what appears to be some guy macing a little kid. That's the pepper spray, not the uh, heavy giant ball on a chain thing. Although both would apply. The little kid, there's a caption that says, Me, happy the Packers signed, Tavon Austin. And then the dude with the pepper spray, there's a caption that says, Ryan with Tavon off Austin's awful PFF grades. So here's what I'll do. I'll assume that we're all smart enough to realize that Tavon Austin has been out of the league for as long as he has been for a reason. I'll assume that we all remember that Tavon Austin has played in the NFL for several years and never once made any kind of impact. And I will leave the PFF grade battering um, to somebody else. I won't beat you over the head with information that you probably already know and just don't want to hear. I'm sure you remember when he was a Ram for many years, and we heard every single year how this guy's going to be a dynamic, elite player once they figure out how to use him, and that just never happened. And then he went to Dallas, and the same thing, and then, you know, the same thing happened. Now, that has nothing to do with what he's going to be able to contribute to the Green Bay Packers. Because PFF doesn't predict the future, they just tell you what has been so far. So if you want to believe that Matt LaFleur will be able to unleash what his capabilities really are at 28 years old, which is not, you know, over the hill, but I don't know that he still runs a 4-3-4 anymore. That's fine. Completely fine with me. Packers were able to unleash Swervin Irvin's potential when they couldn't find that anywhere else. And so again, I'm not going to sit here and just smash you in the face over and over again with information that you probably already know if you had this weird illusion that Tavon Austin was an elite football player and thought that I was going to come on here and tell you that he is an elite football player and nobody knew it and that's why he just hasn't played for a year and the Packers just stumbled on it like wait he's not playing that he's like the best wide receiver in football and then we just picked him up because everybody forgot he existed um I mean that's that's not that's not the case so what do we know about Tavon? Tavon was selected in the uh, first round, number eight overall in 2013. He was seen as one of the most dynamic elite wide receiver types. Um, you know, get the ball in his hand and he can do anything. Five foot eight 179 runs a four, three, four and then he goes to the Rams and just he didn't really do much of anything. Now, to be fair, it wasn't all bad. In that rookie year, he was mostly bad, but he had some real good games, including two games that you could call borderline elite. He also had an elite running grade, which isn't to say that he was very good at it, but, you know, he did it very rarely, and there were a couple times when he did it and it was very successful, so overall it it looked that way. But just to give you an idea, and this is just his rookie year, we're going to kind of run through it a little bit. He had 40 receptions for 418 yards and four touchdowns, 10.5 yards per reception, 5.7 yards after the catch per reception. So on average, he's catching 5-yard passes, taking it another 5 yards. He did have 5 drops, which is pretty high. 4 avoided tackles on the entire season, 94.3 passer rating when targeted. As a runner now, he had 9 attempts for 151 yards, which is 16.8 yards per attempt. (laughs) Somehow only mustered 1 touchdown out of that. Only 3 first downs, because... I mean, most of this is made up of two giant runs, a 65-yard run and a 56-yard run. So again, that's why I say it's, it's really just two really good runs kind of comprised why he graded out so well. And as a returner, that was the one area where he sort of shined. 22.1 yards per attempt um, on kick returns, which isn't really good enough to be a top-end kick returner these days where you have to get out to the 25. As a punt returner, on average, 8.7 yards per attempt. For context, and this again, it's just his rookie year, we'll, we'll continue on, but uh, 22 yards per attempt would make him the 20th best kick returner in today's NFL, which is a slight upgrade over Darius Shepard, who's getting 20.6 yards per return. And remember, this is fresh out of college. His 8.7 yards per attempt would be tied for 17th, Darius Shepard right now is at six. Anyways, as we fast forward through his career, one of the things that dawned on me was, well, maybe we can get a little bit more out of him because we've got a, you know, Matt LaFleur as opposed to uh, Mr. 7 and 9 over at the Rams. The problem is his last year with the Rams was in 2017, which was Sean McVay's first year. He had 13 receptions for 47 yards, 3.6 yards per reception in Sean McVay's first year. Matt LaFleur was there in 2017 as the offensive coordinator. So it's kind of, you know, on one hand, not a great sign, because, I mean, it didn't go well. Matt LaFleur was already his offensive coordinator in 2017, and what happened? Nothing. It was a terrible year. On the other hand, Matt LaFleur is the one making the decision to go after him, so he must have liked something that he did. But, again, similar scheme over there with Sean McVay in 2017. He didn't do anything, and they ended up getting rid of him. The other negative here, in terms of believing that the scheme is going to do something for him, he actually was signed by the San Francisco 49ers this year. Now, granted, he was placed on IR, but the 49ers d- decided to release him with an injury settlement. So he spent time with Sean McVeigh, who let him go, as well as Kyle Shanahan, who decided not to retain him, who, I mean, if they wanted to, they could have him on their team right now. They decided to release him so it just it doesn't help the scheme argument again doesn't mean we can't figure it out just trying to temper expectations a bit Um, in his most recent season he got uh, 13 receptions for 177 yards and one touchdown this was with the Dallas Cowboys 13.6 yards per reception as a runner he had six attempts for 47 yards which is 7.8 yards per attempt As a returner, he did not uh, return any kickoffs. I believe he was kicked two, but never returned any of them. Probably something to do with the new NFL rules. There's just a lot less kick returns, especially when you're returning 20-some yards per return. If you're not getting it out 25 yards, you just don't do it. Um, But his yards per attempt on punt returns was down to 4.9. Remember, Darius Shepard right now is at 6. 4.9 yards per return would be fifth worst in the NFL today just slightly behind Tyler Irvin at five yards per return so again you know we'll see we'll see what they can muster up with him and what their plan is with him I'm certainly excited about the potential and I understand the excitement around it because you know all that excitement about him in college and whatnot was kind of cool and now he's on our team and feels like maybe somewhere rooted deep down inside is a good football player but again I'm just reading information you do with that what you will and I didn't give you any of his PFF grades all right Maybe hinted at it a couple times, but those are his stats. Again, do with it what you will. Another guy that the Packers recently signed was Mr. Anthony Rush, defensive lineman, six foot four, three 361 pounds, big ol' Alabama boy, which makes me excited. Granted, that's Birmingham, but still, I say what I want to say. So it, it just, you know, we got Anthony Wynn, who's kind of just a bigger guy in the middle. I mean, he's only about 300 pounds, but... It just seems like the bigger guys are at least doing their jobs pretty well, you know? Your job is just to stand there and not let people run through you. And they just generally do that job pretty well. So now we got a six foot five, three 350-pound human being. Undrafted free agent, by the way, 2019. Now, well, never mind. As you would expect, he provides very little by way of pass rush. But for an undrafted free agent at 350 pounds, I don't know that you would expect all that much. As far as his run defense, it's consistently decent. He has played um, as recently as this year, week five, uh, weeks two, three, four, and five, he played for the Seattle Seahawks. Actually played decent chunks for them. I don't really expect him to be much more than just a rotational guy, and I don't know how much time he's actually going to get on the field, but I do think it's interesting if you think about Montrevious going out, so we got to go out and get a defensive tackle, and we... we, we try to see the direction that they're going is Mike Patton going to go out and get another you know 295 pound six foot seven guy or is he going to get a six foot five 350 pound monster now maybe this is just best available but trying to think which direction we're going keeping in mind the draft and all that kind of stuff because right now I do think defensive tackle is possibly the highest need outside of maybe linebacker but I don't think they're going linebacker in the first round I'm thinking first round right now where are we going tackle maybe but I think they like Billy Turner and he just proved out that he can at least to some degree stop Khalil Mack. We'll get to that when we get to that. Wide receiver is always a consideration. I don't think that's going to be the highest priority considering the Packers now are officially the number one offense in points, not that the Seattle Seahawks only put up like 20-something. But it just kind of makes you wonder what direction we're going. And I think it's, I don't know, I just just want it, man. I just want a big clogging up nightmare 350-pound freak. I know that's not the way the NFL's going, and I know you need some more agility or whatever, but hey, how about, at least on running situations, we get the big guy out there to stop the run? I'm not saying 3rd and 15, you gotta have this guy out there. But get a big old boy like Jordan Davis out of Georgia, 6'5", 330. If you want to get super crazy, Tyler Shelvin out of LSU, 6'3", 362 pounds. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, man. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. But anyways, he does actually have a sack on the season. That would be more impressive if there were a pile of pressures along with that in his 35 attempts, but he only has one pressure, which happens to be a sack. Again, that's not his biggest thing. Right now, he has a 67.5 overall run defense grade. Basically, two pretty decent games, two subpar games in in his run defense abilities. Again, he's he's what you would expect for an undrafted free agent that's been on two different teams in two years, and now this is his third team in two years. He's a guy that's got a 50% chance of doing his job of being large and getting in the way how's that sound uh in other personnel news we just found out that will fuller has announced that he got a six game suspension for violating the nfl ped policy performance enhancing drug policy so clearly the packers dodged a massive bullet that would be the the worst case possible scenario is if we gave up anything for will fuller um and then he ended up being gone for basically the entire season much less a second round pick that would just be an absolute gut punch because we would lose a second-round pick basically for nothing. So that doesn't... Now, I'm not going to use this as a ha-ha, told you so, because you can't know this, and you can't really factor that into the equation, although maybe you kind of can, because you always have to factor in what if they get hurt, what if they get suspended. That's always a possibility. You can't lose your second-round pick to injury or ped use. So that is a consideration, but, you know, it's not like it's a guarantee. You can't go back and, and say, now what? See, I told you so, because you didn't know that. But again, I mean, I've talked about this before. Very rarely do these trades or free agent pickups pan out as well as people think they will. These are big name guys that always end up disappointing. Again, you could not have necessarily expected this, but this is another example of a guy that we could have got that would have been a massive disappointment. They also lost their corner Bradley Roby, which is going to help them in their efforts to get a higher draft pick and hopefully not be such a uh, disappointment to Texas. I believe the last bit of news, and it's kind of just an evolving thing, something to keep an eye on as we move forward. Actually, there's two things. We'll start with this, though. I knew there was something else. Now, I didn't watch the game last night because it was on too late, obviously, but um, there was a weird moment, apparently. Apparently where Carson Wentz went off the field, not due to injury, I don't believe, and Jalen Hurts took the field. Jalen Hurts threw one pass for six yards, and that's it. Um, If he attempted to do something else, I don't know what it would be, but that's it. There's no rushing stats for Jalen Hurts. There's no other passing stats. I mean, I I don't really understand that. I don't know what the point of that was. Maybe they wanted to see it. You know, it kind of reminds me, and I'm, I'm just making stuff up here, but it kind of reminds me of, you remember that uh, old Brett Favre clip where Mike McCarthy, sorry, it wasn't Mike McCarthy, it was uh, it was Holmgren, and it was, it had to have been really early on before he was 100% solidified, but Brett was having a real bad day and was just not listening or whatever, and what is his name? Holmgren, jeez Holmgren says, put in the other guy. I think this is after we had drafted, uh, Brunel, maybe? I don't know. But he's saying, put in the other quarterback. I've had enough. And then he's like, wait, 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 wait. Maybe it was one of those moments, except the wait, wait, wait came after one play. Right? I've had it. Get Wentz out of there. I'm tired of this. They put in Jalen Hurts, and he's like, no, 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 stupid. Never mind. Put the other guy back out. I I don't know. I have no idea. However, the only reason I bring it up is that the Packers now, I believe, have to um, prepare for two different quarterbacks because Carson Wentz is clearly on the brink of being benched. And I don't think he did himself necessarily any favors in this last game. He was uh, 25 of 45 for 215 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Um, You know, part of the reason you don't necessarily want to throw Jalen Hurts in in the middle of a game is that he's not the guy that's been preparing all week. That's not the guy that you've been preparing. It's not the game plan that you've prepared for. So it's just, it's probably not going to go well. But if you've finally had enough, you could understand a situation where you've had enough. You decide to throw in Jalen Hurts, and you're like, wait a minute, this is a bad idea. But starting next week, we're going to prepare for Jalen Hurts to be the starting quarterback. It's not impossible. I don't necessarily think it's going to happen, but it is somewhat of a negative for the Packers to have to prepare for that. Now, on the positive side, we're either going to get a really bad version of Carson Wentz, who is just having a terrible year, or we're going to get Jalen Hurts' first-ever year, which is probably going our first-ever game this year, or ever. And it's going to be an absolute disaster because it's his first game, right? I mean, it's, it's really no different than if Jordan Love went out for the first time. It doesn't mean that Jalen Hurts isn't going to be a good quarterback at some point, but you really don't expect it to be that first game. Also, it's probably not the best news ever that forced Seattle to win 23-17 against the Eagles. That's not great. Granted, it was 23-9 basically at the end of the game, but still, that just it doesn't feel very good. Anyways, why don't we? Oh wait, well, there's one more bit of news. Um, not great news. Corey Lindsley is going to be out for some time. He has a sprained MCL. It's not a uh, out for the season situation, but he is expected to miss three to six weeks. Um, you know, I, I can't help but feel like this is a Lane Taylor type of situation. You know, Lane was kind of fighting for his job. He really wanted to be the guy. He ended up getting hurt. Elton Jenkins took his spot and he never got it back. Now, I don't expect Corey Lindsay to just outright lose his job, but in terms of him trying to win his job for next year, this gives the opportunity, for example, for Elton Jenkins to slide into that center spot, which I said is his more natural position. It's what he played in college for him to really solidify that that's his position. I know some people felt like he could move to tackle, maybe, but I doubt it. If they wanted him to be a full-time tackle, they would give him that job over Billy Turner. The real thing that that could happen here is the left guard spot, again, could end up being won by Mr. John Runyon. Now, it's not an ideal situation, but if John Runyon can really solidify that spot, it's not, again, it's not that when Corey Lindsley comes back, they say, nah, we're good. It's just that they're going to realize moving forward, the answer is going to be, now nah, we're good. And again, we'll get into more of the uh, grades and stats and whatnot of how, how the offensive line held up without him, but, but really it's going to be moving forward, right? Elton Jenkins did not actually grade out very well last week in place of Corey Lindsley. Uh, spoiler alert, he did a lot better this week. And so, you know, John Runyon, I know everybody loves him. He hasn't really graded out all that well. However, again, the point is, give him more time. Let him be the guy at guard for a while, and let's see what he can do. Now, if it doesn't pan out, then it's kind of an iffy situation. But if he can really start to, you know, be the guy, get the first, the the starter snaps in practice at left guard, get more reps, get, you know, actually become the guy and can be the guy. Then it just it really kind of walls off Corey Lindsley in terms of we really just don't need you and he, even so if Elton Jenkins can just completely take that job away then it's just a matter of what are we looking for a couple of guards right we, we don't have great guards we can get the guards on the draft to supplement guys like John Runyon and, and the guys that we already drafted so it's just it just doesn't bode well for him necessarily the offensive line is better with him no question but it just it just again it just feels kind of like that Lane Taylor situation. But anyways, why don't we take a break here. Uh, make sure you get in the a Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packing and Podcast Facebook page. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month. Pack underscore daddy over at, at Patreon. That didn't make sense. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is how you can support the show. Otherwise, some great ways to do it is just word of mouth. The biggest thing I'm looking for right now is not more patrons, although I will happily accept them. Uh, the biggest thing is I really just want to grow the show that's my number one priority. That's, that's everything right now. So if you got some friends, you got some family that are Packer fans, try to, you know, let them know that the show exists. Let the peeps on social media know. Whatever it takes, um, that is goal number one. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. All right, it's PFF time. Kind of a flashback to middle school. used to have a teacher that just loved it when we didn't do our homework. Because we had a, we had a policy at our middle school. It was in the newspaper. It was this great new thing where if, if you missed two homework assignments, you get a detention, also known as a PM. So I think it was like every day when an assignment was due, she would announce, It's PM time! And she would go through and ask, do you have your homework assignment? And if not, and that was your second one, she gleefully wrote you up for a detention. She was a witch. Also like Jamaican or something. I don't know exactly what the deal was. It was my attempt at remembering and then executing her her, uh, accent. And I can't do it. I don't know. Schools are just horrible. Granted, it's probably not as bad for the kids that just did their work. But uh, for those of us that never did any work, homework, studying, whatever... It was rough, man. But it's PFF time. Uh, The offense, probably not super surprisingly, did much better than the defense did. However, got one massive bright spot that you probably already know about because I was blasting it all over social media. Very excited about it. The, The cool thing about this is half the team, almost, nine out of 21 players, were in the 70s or higher. That's pretty solid. The worst PFF grade was a 51, basically, which is also not bad at all zero 40s 30s 20s so everybody was below average average or you know good very good whatever the below average there was only four of them mercedes lewis marquez valdez scantling billy turner and john runyon now, i know people are going to get mad but the fact of the matter is billy turner did his job but you i mean the guy got beat up on he didn't win on a consistent basis against khalil Mack. so that that's kind of my question right we know that Billy Turner can do the job. In other words, he can be a right tackle. Are we okay with Billy Turner as he is? Or would we like a better right tackle? Because it's hard to argue with the guy just does his job, right? I mean, maybe he didn't necessarily win, but he also didn't allow a single sack in the game, so what are we complaining about? The, the, option to move on from Billy Turner would mean that we're looking for another Brian Balaga, which is to say a guy that also does not give up a lot of sacks, hits, or hurries. He allowed four sacks in the entire season, four hurry uh four hits and nineteen hurries. Um but also he did really well against Chicago in week one he had a 70 overall grade in pass blocking, 70 in run blocking, didn't allow a single sack, a single hit, and he allowed one hurry. In week 15 against Chicago, 80 overall, 82.5 pass blocking, 76.5 run blocking, zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurry. So there's good enough, and then there's good. I feel like Billy Turner is good enough. It's settling for a guy that's, like, it's not a complete disaster. It's not Jason Spriggs, but it's the lowest possible level of acceptable that there is. Again, that's PFF's perspective. I have not personally watched it. I know if you ask... Coach Hahn, he's probably flipping over tables right now just listening to me. He's a big fan of the offensive line in general. He loved what they did last week. I know he's a big fan of Billy Turner. I don't know what he thinks about Billy Turner against Khalil Mack. You'd have to ask him. But that is their perspective. And that, at this point, is my current perspective. He's decent enough. It's not the biggest disaster that you can find. But, you know, in nine games, he's allowed 20 pressures. Again, Balaga allowed 27 in 17 games. It's what, I mean it's not my decision and I do tend to think the Packers are going to hang on to him because the Packers seem to really really like the guy. And again, if it doesn't result in Aaron Rodgers on his back, I guess I don't really care. I'm concerned, but I'll, I'll take it. The other issue would be run blocking. Again, just PFF's perspective here, he's been pretty terrible at it. He had two games in which he graded out positively. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in which he did not grade out positively. Balaga had nine. Last year, so the point is you can you we can do better. The question is how big of a priority is it going to be? And again, my perspective is the Packers feel the priority is very low. I think they feel like they got a steal and getting a right tackle. And again, for the price that we're paying them, I think we were overpaying for a subpar guard, which is what he was last year. But a tackle that can keep Aaron Rodgers clean against Khalil Mack, we're massively underpaying. Um, and again, yes, John Runyon did grade out poorly. I don't think he's gotten a single positive grade this year. I know he's. Uh, Again, feel free to ask Coach Hahn on his perspective on that, but uh, he has not been necessarily a shining light up to this point. But, again, give him the full week to prepare. Give him some time to develop and whatnot. It is what it is. Um, As far as the positives, I said there were nine of them, starting from the lowest to the highest. Lucas Patrick, which is great because he has not been grading out very well, so great to see him really step up. We'll get into the specifics on that when we look at the offensive line. Alan Lazard had a good day. In pretty much every category, receiving, pass blocking, and run blocking. Devontae Adams had a pretty good day. I say pretty good because for him it's pretty good. For everybody else, it's great. Robert Tanyan, again, having another big day. I mentioned he's very up and down. I think he gets a little bit too much credit for always being one of the better players when he's really not. But great to see when he does step up that he had a good day. This is his first time grading out positively since Week 8 against Minnesota, which was the first time since Week 4. He's had a grand total of four weeks um, so far this season in which he's graded out positively not trying to dump on the guy i'm just trying to keep a little bit of better perspective because it's always weird to me when people are like this guy doesn't get enough credit he's one of the better tight ends in football it's like no he just had a good day today and you're trying to pretend that this is what he does every week and it's not and again i think tanyan falls into that same category of A lot of people will say we don't need a tight end because Tanyan's one of the better tight ends in football, and I think that's nonsense. We're okay with him. We don't necessarily need a massive upgrade, especially since we have Deguara, who hopefully can get healthy and continue what he was putting together at the beginning of the year. But I also know for a fact we could do better than than Robert Tanyan if needed be, but I don't think we're going to. Then, very excited to see Equinemius St. Brown was actually the third highest guy. I've been waiting for him to pick up some steam. Really liked what he was doing in 2018. Have not seen that at all this year. He's been, you know, don't want to be overly harsh, but I guess it's pretty fair to say a disappointment. I've overstated his speed, by the way. It's 4.48 for some of you that I've been saying what his speed was. But he has 6.5, runs 4.48, which is extremely fast for 6'5. Just a really versatile piece. And, um, was actually his highest graded game ever his his highest prior to this game was a 77-3 against the Jets in 2018 so hopefully he can kind of keep this up right he's back in the groove kind of up to speed with this offense a little bit and hopefully we get to see a little bit more of that after that we get the two players that were in the 80s David Bakhtiari being the first one who graded out positively in pass blocking and run blocking again we'll get into specifics in a second and then Aaron Rodgers was the highest graded player uh, of the week 84.1 overall That's going to be enough so far to keep him as the number one quarterback. Russell Wilson has actually fallen all the way to fourth. I don't know if this past week uh, the grades have come out. I don't think so, but I don't know that this is going to be a massive jump for him. As far as passing grade, uh, he is number one with a 92.6 overall on the season. There are four elite quarterbacks in terms of passing, actually in both categories. Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Pat Mahomes, and Aaron Rodgers. It is a freakish year of quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers is a freak among freaks right now. Uh, so far, uh, Devontae is still the number one wide receiver. I don't think anyone else is going to be able to leapfrog him. The number two and three wide receivers right now are Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, which is annoying, but haha, Devontae is still better. It's a pretty um, amazing jump, too, because the fourth best wide receiver in terms of overall grade is DeAndre Hopkins. He has an 85 overall grade. From there, it jumps all the way up to 90 with Justin Jefferson, 90 for Adam Thielen, and then 92 for Devontae Adams. Just really shows the separation. Uh, between him and pretty much everybody else. Uh, if we look at the blocking, which was solid all day, zero sacks, zero hits on Aaron Rodgers. There were eight hurries on the day. Two of them came from Lucas Patrick. Two of them came from Billy Turner. One for Jay Sternberger, one for John Runyon, one for David Bakhtiari. One of them was attributed to Aaron Rodgers himself for holding on to the ball too long. In terms of pass blocking grades, most, mostly everybody did good. Jay Sternberger was in the 20s, which is terrible uh billy turner was in the 30s which is really bad Corey lindsley was in the 40s which is bad runyon was 60s which is fine then lazard and lewis were also that's mercedes were also in the 60s 70s you got robert Tunyon. i just alternate back and forth i want to say Tunyon, but then i feel like i'm being unnecessarily disrespectful so i used to call him Tunyon. i don't know uh lucas patrick and rick wagner And then Jamal was in the 80s, which is a very good grade. Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari, and the number one pass blocker was Mr. Elton Jenkins. Again, very, very good to see, because I think PFF has been not quite as flattered by him as most Packer fans. In fact, last week, his first week at center, which again was real bad, he had a 28 overall pass blocking grade, which is just terrible. But give him a little bit extra time, and he actually had his, what is this? his third best pass blocking grade of the season. So I think... uh, Again, give him a full week of preparation at center, and I think he's going to be back in the swing of things. The biggest disappointment, and we'll we'll move over to that now, has been run blocking. Only two weeks this whole year he's graded out positively as a run blocker. His grades have been a 54, 58, 53, 59, 91, 60, 48, 73, 58, 42, 54. Again, just PFF's perspective, they have not been overly impressed. The guys that did grade out well as, as run blockers, Equinemius, David Bakhtiari, in order, Corey Lindsley, Alan Lazard, and that's basically it. Some guys that were decent, Lucas Patrick, Devontae Adams, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Jay Sternberger. Uh, everybody else was average or below average. Again, I don't have any complaints about the offensive line. I thought the offensive run blocking as a whole was great. I thought the pass blocking as a whole was great. And again, grades or not, the biggest round of applause does go to Billy Turner because his job for most of the night was keeping Khalil Mack off of Aaron Rodgers. In fact, if I may elaborate a bit, um, this was was arguably his worst night ever. Now granted, he is on a three-game streak of zero sacks, so he's not been doing all that great, but he had two pressures on the entire day. Now he did have one other game with two pressures and one game with just one pressure, but in both of those games, he ended up with a sack. Against the LA Rams, he had one pressure, which was a sack. Against the Carolina Panthers, two pressures, one sack, one hurry. In this game, he had two pressures and it was zero sacks, zero hits, two hurries. I would venture a guess that if you were to ask, you know, a quarterback, a head coach, whoever, what situation you would prefer, it would be the latter, right? Or the, the latest game, the, the two pressures with no sack Um, but Khalil has been kind of going downhill I mean to start the season his sacks were 6-6-5-5-5-2-1-3-4-4-2 so just kind of emblematic of the Bears in general Um, as things continue to implode Khalil Mack their one shining star on this team just has really not put together a good stretch I mean he hasn't had a really good game I mean granted four pressures is great when you have 25 attempts but zero sacks zero hit he's just not I don't know. The last really solid game was probably Week Five against Tampa. He had five pressures on thirty-nine attempts and two sacks. That's about it, man. Uh, anyways, really one of the rare situations. Aaron Rodgers, although he was very rarely under pressure, he actually performed extremely well under pressure. His grade with no pressure was a seventy-seven. His grade under pressure was an eighty-four point seven. So I mean he was I mean he was just unstoppable. Bottom line he played with no fear which is great because you know that's when the the pressure grades really start to affect you when you start hearing footsteps and doing things that are not great but he was 6 of 7 for 94 yards and two touchdowns and no interceptions while under pressure 15 of 22 117 yards uh two touchdowns with no pressure he had 13.4 yards per attempt under pressure 5.3 yards per attempt With no pressure so I mean he was just it was just not a good day for the Bears man it's just it's not when Aaron Rodgers is playing that well under pressure there's not much hope for you as far as the run game um, Aaron Jones graded out well Jamal did not but both of them obviously did well statistically I mentioned it yesterday both had 17 attempts 5.3 yards per attempt for Aaron Jones 4.3 for Jamal 7 first downs for Aaron Jones 5 for Jamal Williams yards after contact per attempt Aaron Jones had 3.12 Jamal 2.82 Aaron Jones had four avoided tackles in this game so Aaron Jones just really was in stride and you couple that with a lot of offensive linemen stepping up as run blockers it was just it was just a great great day and they if they can keep that up man that really is one of the bigger missing pieces for this offense you know Aaron Rodgers has really been doing solid Devante has been solid Lazard for the most part is solid mostly the passing game is going but but the problem has been the run game and not really doing what they need to do causing the offense to be somewhat one-dimensional which is hard to overcome but man when that run game is going that's when you see a dominant offense i mean really really dominant offense And if they can keep that level up if everybody can just maintain this level this will continue to be the best offense in football anyways on the defensive side it wasn't great it was mostly pretty bad i'd have to look at that sheet that i put up in terms of uh I shouldn't say it's mostly bad. That's that's wildly overstating it, but it wasn't as good. There were only four players that graded out good or better. There were um, seven players that were below average or worse, and then just a huge pile of average. We'll start off with the bad. Christian Kirksey was the worst at 27 overall. He had a 27.8 coverage grade, 28.4 tackling grade, 49 point nine run defense, 52 pass rush, so nothing went well. 140.4 passer rating when targeted. He was targeted 10 times in this game. Jair was also targeted 10 times, but 9 of those 10 were caught for 82 yards and two touchdowns. That's about as bad as it can get. Uh Rashawn Gary had a real down game as did Jair Alexander. They actually tied at 45.8 overall. Jair has not graded out very well recently um still the stats aren't bad 10 targets five receptions for 47 yards no touchdowns i'll take that right the stats are fine i don't i mean i guess we can look i doubt he's still the highest graded corner at this point he's not he's dropped to fourth and again it's been a while since he's really graded out well in fact it's been week seven was the last time he had a good grade uh, the last four weeks has been 53 51 65 and 45 so again the stats haven't really reflected um I guess the last two weeks have been kind of rough. Seven targets, four receptions, 55 yards, 10 targets, five receptions, 47. It's not terrible, right? We had games with, you know, 100-yard games in the past. But this is coming off, um, you know, not including week one, 19 yards, negative 2, 12, 12, The receptions have been 4, 4, 1, 3, 2, 0, 1, 1, and then four receptions, 55, five receptions, 47. He still hasn't given up a single touchdown since week one. Uh, His highest NFL passer rating was 89, also week one. So it's just, I mean, he's doing fine. But for whatever reason, it it is some cause for concern for me. Just because from PFF's perspective, again, he's not exactly the kind of lockdown corner that he has been. And it kind of makes you nervous in terms of, you know, if you face, we don't have to face Minnesota again, which is great. But a uh, dynamic quarterback wide receiver duo just makes me wonder, you know, what's going to happen. But hopefully, whatever's going on, he can get corrected. Uh, As for Rashawn, he only had one pressure on 33 attempts, so that was obviously not a great day for him. Didn't have a single tackle. He didn't have a single stat, uh, stat outside of that. And this is one game where he actually... So we got what we wanted. We got a ton of Rashawn Gary. He had 43 snaps compared to Preston's 45. Preston still was getting more snaps but I mean it's almost 50 50 that's got to be the first time ever so Rashawn got his opportunity and he kind of squandered it by doing nothing on top of that Preston obviously had a very big day other guys that didn't grade out well Will Redmond um, Kenny Clark had another down day he did have four pressures on 37 attempts which is solid Um, but uh, 26 overall tackling grade which is terrible 54 run defense grade they had him as an average pass rusher Randy Ramsey and Oren Burks are the other two that uh, graded down not well. Neither of them had a single stat outside of Oren Burks with one tackle. whole bunch of average, but the guys that did grade out well will give them some love. And I'll, I'll, I'll add Chandon Sullivan into this with uh, number five. He played 64 snaps. He had four targets, two receptions for 16 yards. Only two yards after the catch. He had a 69.8 overall grade, which, which is good enough. Uh, Adrian Amos, again, having a real good day. I've talked consistently about him coming on real strong and really starting to make up. This is three weeks in a row now. So he's been, he started off real slow, real terrible week one and week two. Then he was kind of low 70s, 60s kind of for a while, uh, 59 against San Francisco, and you kind of wonder what's going on. Then it's 83, 74, and 70. So again, three weeks in a row. His tackling grade has been through the roof the last three weeks. Run defense has been adequate. Coverage has been fine. He's had, let's see, uh, eight targets, four receptions for 25 yards over three weeks. Actually, over four weeks. It's the same stats because he had zero against San Francisco. Uh, He had five tackles. I mentioned he's basically our our number one tackler on the team right now, which is not great for our linebackers, but it is what it is. The third highest grade was Mr. Billy Wynn, who just continues to impress. Everybody likes him. I think it's one of those guys where if we keep his snaps low enough, you know... (laughs) He, d- he doesn't have enough opportunities to mess up. He makes one or two good plays a game on his eight snaps, and it's just, you know, I think it's a great thing. I like Billy. Number two, real exciting. Mr. Kamal Martin, again, had a real good day. Not overly elite, but this is two weeks in a row. I mentioned week one was really good. All right, well, his I, I did this last time, too. Week seven, which was his first week, was really, really solid. He had two bad games, week eight and week ten. Week 11, we all acknowledged, was a very, very good game for him. And then again against Chicago, another really high day. So he's had three out of five, in which he's graded out really, really highly. He is right now, of the 2020 class, one of only three linebackers that's grading out positively. Michael Walker for Atlanta is the highest-graded linebacker, almost entirely because of his coverage ability. Uh, Sean Bradley in Philadelphia, the exact opposite. He's doing great against the run, terrible in coverage. And then Kamal Martin who uh, is average against the run, is a great tackler, solid pass, high, the highest pass rush grade of any of them, and then the second highest coverage grade of any rookie linebacker. Isaiah Simmons right now is a 63 overall grade. Anthony Jennings, 53. Willie Gay, 53. Malik Harrison, 50. Uh, Kenneth Murray, 50. Akeem Davis Gaither, 42. Just going through some of the names of guys that you know people liked. Jordan Brooks, inexplicably the first-round pick, is currently at a 39 overall grade. Um, Troy Dye is a 29 and the lowest-graded linebacker in the entire NFL of all rookies right now is Patrick Queen. In fact, he is the lowest-graded linebacker of any linebacker of any draft class in the entire NFL. Patrick Queen is a 27.7 overall grade, just two spots below Oren Burks. Just thought I'd throw that out there. But... The real exciting news of the day, the highest graded player um, on the entire team this week, the highest graded Packer player this entire year, the second highest PFF grade given to any player any week of the entire season is Mr. Darnell Savage. Played 39 snaps, 10 against the run, 29 in coverage, 96.3 overall grade. 64 cover uh, run defense grade, 78 tackling grade, 95 coverage grade. Now, I've talked about this in the past in terms of what a, a decent job he's doing in coverage. Add to that two targets, two interceptions. Darnell Savage now, if we go back the last three weeks, actually we'll go back four weeks, six targets, four pass breakups, two interceptions. That's six targets, six breakups in some capacity so in week nine one target one pass breakup in week 10 two targets two pass breakups in week 11 one target one pass breakup in week 12 two targets two interceptions what in the world is that in terms of grade I I mean again this is this is as good as it gets it's nearly perfect in in as far as pff is concerned I don't know the last time you'll find a, a safety that graded this highly um, it, it's not necessarily his official breakout, because it's one of those things that's wildly unsustainable, but it comes after his highest grade ever, right? In fact, three highest games. Not I won't go back to last year, but this year. Uh, week 10 was his highest graded game at 67. Week 11 was his next highest at 76. This week, 96. So he's figuring something out, right? And again, there's no telling. Maybe next week is a terrible week for him. I don't know, but it's been really, really good for him. Um, especially in terms of his coverage ability, it has been incredible. On the entire season, uh, seven receptions for 143 yards, uh, one touchdown, four intercep- uh, t- two interceptions, four pass breakups, 70.5 NFL passer rating. The last time somebody got a single yard against him was against uh, the 49ers, one target, one reception, 36 yards. That whole thing is kind of weird because it's one target, one reception, 36 yards, one pass breakup. So the pass breakup must have been, I, he wasn't targeted. I don't know. I have no idea. But um, the, the other cool thing about it, and granted, the two interceptions are a big part of this, but there were 29 snaps in coverage. If you have two interceptions and are kind of just terrible the rest of the week, for example, against Indianapolis, one target, one pass breakup. He had a 70 overall pass blocking or uh, coverage grade against Jacksonville, two targets, Two pass breakups they give him a 65 overall coverage grade in other words they looked at it and said that's great those are two good plays out of 37 the rest not so great to get a 95 overall coverage grade essentially is to say he was perfect in coverage the entire game all 29 coverage snaps we've talked about it we've talked about darnell savage has earl thomas upside This is it. Not anybody can have a 95 overall game. Some people just aren't incapable of that. Darnell Savage is one of the few that's capable of it. Again, I don't know what his career is going to be. This may be a fluke. Maybe he's going to be one of those guys that has five bad games and an occasional flash of really good, but he has that kind of upside and potential that a lot of guys just cannot have. And we saw it. And that's incredibly exciting. And again, we're, we're looking for improvement. And overall, the defense wasn't that great. But when you have Amos, who's really coming on strong, and now Darnell Savage is breaking out, which, interestingly enough, remember the Vikings, they've always just had dominant safeties. That was the big thing. Coming, you know, the corners weren't all that great, but man, the safeties were just dominant all the time. Now we got Amos and Savage, who have been the highlights of the defense the last couple weeks. So anyways, lots of great news that culminated into a massive beatdown against the Chicago Bears tomorrow. Wednesday, I try to like to leave it a little wide open. So uh, if you have any questions, I'll try to remember to put a post up in the Facebook group. But if you got any questions, shoot them my way. Try to do a little bit of a question and answer type of day. Otherwise, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Tuesday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.